Welcome to Startup Happy Hour, sponsored by Content Allies. Grab a drink and join us to hear fun and inspirational stories from startup founders and visionaries who are making a positive impact in our communities and learn how you too can turn your new and exciting ideas into reality. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Startup Happy Hour. This is your host, Diana Chen, and today I am with Alice Chain, founder of TaxDrop. Alice, welcome. How are you? Hi. Hi, Diana. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I love talking about startups and stuff. Yeah, I'm super excited because you just started TaxDrop back in March of this year, right before the pandemic hit. So I can't wait to hear more about that. But I kind of wanted to start by talking about your background a little bit and what brought you into the startup space in the first place. So I know you went to Rutgers for accounting and then you had quite uh, an impressive career in international tax at Deloitte and IAC post-college. So I guess like when did you start getting interested in entrepreneurship and startups? So you're absolutely right. I started my career in accounting. That's what I went to school for. That's what I expected the rest of my life was going to look like. I didn't know that I would take more of a modern day route in the accounting world, however, which is what I am hopefully, you know, building towards today. But I think it just comes from me being a person who loves to make processes in a as efficient as they can possibly be. Maybe that's just like the millennial in me um, where, you know, if, if we could be a little lazier, if we could get something a little faster, um, then that's what we're all going to aim for. And so, you know, that's a little bit of what I brought towards accounting. So call it tech, call it entrepreneurship. Um, I think any industry that I would have been in, I probably would have tried to make more efficient like this. Nice. So I guess your thought process was, let me go and learn a tangible skill and get good at something, whatever it is, accounting or anything else. And then let me go and start something where I can actually help people. That's exactly it. Yeah. I, I love being able to, so sometimes I'll call accounting or being a CPA, being like a doctor of the financial services route, um, where it's just really satisfying to be able to help people if people like friends or family, I've got like, like aunties and uncles, um, you know, reaching out, Hey, can you help me with this tax question? And, you know, although I'm still just kind of starting out in my career, um, in my twenties, it's really satisfying to be able to help out people because you do have a little bit more expertise and that's always growing. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's such a sensible route. Not that there's like a right or wrong way to get into startups, but I think so many people just dive head in, you know, like right out of college or even during college um, without gaining that real world experience and really honing their skill. Um, And not to, not to, you know, say that one way is better than the other, but it just seems to me at least that the way you went about it is super sensible and so (laughs) grounded um, and just so smart. So that's awesome. Thank you. I, yeah, I think for, I don't know if it's right to call this a pet peeve, but I don't really like when people say, oh, I really want to get into startups. They don't know what they want to build yet, but they just want to do something. And that's super admirable. These people should not stop by any means, but I think you're going to burn out that way. You know, I think the best startups, the ones that you're going to be really passionate about are the ones that you think about your mission first, what you want to do, and then the rest kind of comes. Um, To just do something for the sake of doing something is not going to be fulfilling. You're not going to really like feel the passion behind it. So yeah, I think that's exactly where I started um, in accounting and then found a problem. It was all very, a reasonable process. Yeah, I think too, like being able to call yourself an entrepreneur or a founder or say that you work in the startup world is just like sexy to people these days. And so people want to be able to say that, you know, even if they don't have an idea or a concrete plan or anything, they just want to be in that space regardless of what it is they're doing. Yeah. Um, Like it'd be fantastic to make bank after all of this, of course. But um, if that's like the main goal, then it probably isn't going to last very long. Right. Exactly. Um, So did you come from a family of entrepreneurs at all? Or I guess like, did your parents have any influence in your interest in 
entrepreneurship or were they supportive of your decision to leave, you know, a very, like very reputable companies like Deloitte and IAC with very reputable and impressive jobs in order to, you know, take on such a high risk activity? Right. Um, you know, they are super supportive. I've got, um, I actually just yesterday was speaking with another friend about um, some industry insights into what I do, what other, you know, startups can know from like the financial perspective. And my mom went and rewatched that video like five times yesterday, being the proud mom. Oh, um, that's adorable. <laughs> so she's really supportive. But that being said, back when I had just graduated in 2015 from Rutgers, it was, this was an app that I had been like, you know, tinkering on since then. So it's been, you know, years in the making at that time, I definitely wasn't ready to just kind of jump ship without financial stability, without any like surefire knowing of, oh, this is an app that's going to work. It's going to make money. It's sustainable. I can have, you know, get funded, whatever, what have you. And so neither my family nor I thought that was the time to kind of jump ship. And so um, not that they wouldn't have supported me, but everything, I think everything happens for a reason. It took, you know, the years of development, growth on the personal and the professional side to get to where I am. That's awesome. Yeah. I just like to ask that because I know like a lot of Asian parents, they just have, they, they have a one track mind for you. You yeah. know, it's like, go and be a doctor, a lawyer, a, an engineer or I guess CPA falls within that realm as well. But my mom is, she runs her own business. So she definitely has a more risk adventurous side to her. She came from your typical Asian parent background where she was a chemistry PhD researcher, but then found herself in the business world one day. And now she, she manages global manufacturing and she knows the pain points of building, you know, your own thing and how it takes years to get off the ground. So yeah, she's excited for me, but I think if she was still a researcher, maybe it'd be a little more difficult to try to explain the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's super cool. She also kind of did what you did, which is like, you know, gain a really solid set of skills and really hone her craft before diving into building her own company. Yeah. I I think- if she wasn't my mother, I may not be where I am today. I think, you know, that we all have our innate abilities and traits, but to surround yourself with people who are not only going to support you, but have help and know-how that they could provide you, um, be it, you know, your parents or like an entrepreneurship community. Um, it's, you know, people aren't going to find that kind of courage to go and do their own thing. So yeah, having yeah. her as a support is definitely how I got here. Yeah, a support and a role model, I think. Yeah. <laughs> she kind of paved the way for you. And you're it almost like in a sense feels like you're following in her footsteps because it seems like the, you know, the path that you took to get to where you are today is similar to the path that she took. A little bit, yeah. You could call it that. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell me a little bit more about Tax Drop. I know it's like an online tax preparation app, but like how is so I like I automatically just think like TurboTax, you know, I think that comes to people's minds a lot. So how is TaxDrop different? And like, what does TaxDrop do? Yeah, that's always the first question. So TaxDrop was meant to be an app where a consumer could simply snap pictures of their tax documents over to real CPA. So essentially TurboTax is free software for a consumer to go and do their taxes. But TaxDrop was going to take all those pain points away so once you've gathered your documents, you just like snap a picture, a real human gets to do it for you. So you don't have to worry about typing numbers into boxes. Am I getting everything correct? And it was really meant to be a, a more automated solution. Gotcha. So it's kind of like an in-between between TurboTax and hiring like a CPA in the traditional sense to do your taxes. Exactly. Um, and is, without is the- having to leave home. Yeah. And is the price point reflective of that too? Like is the price point somewhere in between TurboTax and hiring an actual uh, CPA? Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of where a lot of the startup struggle was to find because CPAs are skilled professionals. Um, You can find CPAs on any spectrum of the pricing range from a few hundred for a tax return to add a zero to the end of that. And so you still want quality work. You want to retain quality CPAs. But at the same time, you want to make it 
in everyone's kind of product solution. So the product did start at a more affordable price range where a fresh out of college graduate entering the real world can get their taxes done for as little as $150. And if you had a small business, then business tax returns were going to cost more. Um, but that was a struggle to find the correct price point because of that. Yeah. So do the CPA set their own price point or is that set through tax drop? So that being said, uh, the business model has kind of pivoted. And where I am right now is I, I've taken a step back to refine the business model. And whereas I wanted to retain control of the CPAs, I think it might open it better to a marketplace kind of platform where CPAs customers can connect on the platform as contractors without being in-house professionals. Um, that is still being built out. And where I find myself today is actually helping startups more on the ironically traditional accounting front. Yeah, no, I'm so fascinated by this because I had actually like uh, created a startup that was very similar to this model back when yeah. I was in law school. Um, and it was an online legal marketplace for startups and small businesses to find affordable legal help. Mm-hmm. So it would connect startups and small businesses to uh, lawyers of all sorts. I mean, there were some lawyers that just graduated from law school and there were some lawyers who were nearing the end of their career um, all across the board and they could set their own prices. So, that's why I was like so curious what your model looks like. Um, and I guess like some of the struggles that that you've been through going through that just because I've been through that similar process and yeah. I know kind of struggles of, you know, uh, getting people on board with that and then getting people to sign up for that and getting people, you know, on board with your price points if you're setting that or, you know, helping them to set their own. You know my struggles better than anyone then because obviously there's – uh, legal marketplaces like upcouncil.com. And then there's actually a lot of other competitors in the CPA marketplace space. And it's a little frustrating because we're all offering very similar products. And in that sense, almost quote, anyone could have done it, you know, to offer a marketplace to connect professionals. You don't even need to be someone in that industry. Um, so I, I sometimes, you know, kick myself thinking, oh, what did they do better that I could have done? Was it because, you know, I was just such a young 20 year old. I didn't have connections. I didn't have funding. Is it that no one would take me seriously as a, you know, 20 year old little entrepreneur, whereas the, the CP marketplaces that are thriving and still successful and running today are, and I don't want to play the gender card, but they're, they're men with resources, so I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, maybe they did do something that made their product work, even though it was the same. Okay. So I, that's something I wanted to get into later in the podcast, but we might as well just <laughs> dive into that now since you brought it up. Let's do it. What's, what's it been like? Okay. So you kind of already shared your experiences of what's it been, what it's been like being a female in a very male dominated world. I guess when you say, you know, like you wonder if other similar CPA marketplaces that are run by males with resources, like what kind of resources are you referring to there? Like connections or money or uh, what is it? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know these men, so I can't speak, you know, for what their lives have been like or what actual connections they have. But to me, I imagine if you're this like, six foot three, like very empowering, dominating looking guy that walks into a VC meeting, maybe these people might take this guy rather seriously versus me who's, you know, fresh out of college, been in the industry, been at Deloitte for one year. They're, they're asking, you know, okay, how do you know that this is going to work? Um, what kind of resources do you have? Um, and they're all really reasonable questions. So I can't, kick anyone for asking me, you know, really, you know, irrelevant questions or anything here. But um, in my startup journeys, I have also come across some guys who their idea was still in the ideation stage. So meaning their product didn't even exist yet. They didn't even like start building it yet, but someone had funded them full time. So this is what these guys were doing full time. They were not 
in the accounting industry or a tax professional, but yet they were paid to build tax software to help small businesses issue um, some documents in the tax front. And I was wondering, I didn't get all the details, but I was wondering how the heck did you get into that? Um, obviously someone likes the idea and you always hear in the startup world how it's always about the team, not the product. But to me, everything screams it's about the product in that sense because these people have no knowledge whatsoever in the tax space. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. How do, how do these guys get opportunities like that? Um, and what can we do differently? Or is it, are the odds stacked against us? I think that's a fair question. And I, I mean, I think, unfortunately, the answer is yes, the odds are stacked against us. And as females and as minorities, we probably do have to work harder in the industry just to get to the same place as some men. Um, and I, I think that's just a sad reality. And hopefully with more people like yourself in the industry that, you know, that can change in the future. Um, but so have you been seeking out funding uh, for a while now? I had sought out funding. Um, right now I'm not um, just because the, the business that I'm doing now is slightly different. The, the marketplace app has been kind of put towards the side and um, won't be launched again until a more sustainable model can be found. But uh, I had tried getting funding. Some people were really interested. I raised a successful equity crowdfunding round actually back in 2016, raised around 70,000 to help build out this app. And so that's the only funding that I had ever received. It wasn't institutional. Um, So having that helped to build the app, um, I, ha- I have a lot to say on my beliefs on what people have been using their funds to do. Um, and I think software development, there's many more streamlined, efficient ways of spending your your money. But um, yeah, funding VC funds had been a struggle because people liked the idea, but they wanted to see more traction and to see where the business might go outside of tax season. Um, I had even gotten to final rounds speaking with really great accelerator programs. But um, at the end, the people that the accelerators were going to answer to didn't like the idea that this was a seasonal business and it wasn't going to be sustainable outside of tax season. But then again, the other companies that do this exact same thing have been funded, have gone to an accelerator. So, you know, to, to say it can't be done is crap. Yeah. Well, and to me, it seems like, like, I don't think that a business being seasonal is in and of itself a negative because I think, especially with taxes, like there is a tax season and every single person in the country has to file their taxes or maybe not. Every, I think there's exceptions, but like the point is like pretty much everybody has to file their taxes. So as long as you get everybody in, you know, this like, the, the few months or like the half year where people are dealing with their taxes, I think that's enough to fund the rest of the year. Yeah. And then you could always branch into different business opportunities or services. Uh, that's what I had in my mind. Yeah. But I w- going back to what you said about, you know, having a lot of thoughts on like VC funding and stuff, I'd love to hear that because I have been hearing a lot of, uh, you know, chatter about, or I guess complaints about how a lot of people get into startups now and just seek out all this funding, don't really even have a good idea or a good business plan in mind. And it's almost like their end goal is to to get the funding instead of the end goal is building the app or building the company. Yeah. Um, And so then people take all this funding and don't really do much with it or throw it all away. And not only is that, you know, a waste of money, but it, it's like, you can argue that it's unethical and there's some huge moral problems behind that. Absolutely. And you know why? I wonder if we, there's definitely a lot of people that think like this too, but being economical women, I wonder if that's why we're also asking this question. Um, because I, I almost wanted to stop chasing the marketplace CPA idea because like I said, there's so many other people doing this exact same thing. Why would I waste my money, someone else's time to create 
an, a marketplace app that was going to essentially do the, thing, the same thing. Um, if anything, money would have been better spent if you you get VC money to do something completely innovative. And so, you know, I, I, I got discouraged because of that. And I think it was hard to differentiate myself and didn't want to take any more VC money because of that. Yeah. And I, I think as entrepreneurs, like there, you, you do need to find that fine balance and it's a very fine balance between, you know, like having the confidence to go out there and say what I have to offer is good. Even though there are other people out there doing similar things already, I can do it better or, you know, I can get the word out more and help more people. Like there needs to be multiple apps doing the same thing Um, versus, you know, being almost too overconfident and, cocky in your ideas and capabilities and just getting all this funding and then not really putting it to good use. Absolutely. Um, So my belief around getting all this funding and the companies like you mentioned that that it seems like their end goal is to get funded and not to, you know, create customer value or turn a profit. I think these kind of companies, they're just kind of pouring money down the drain because of that, there's always something, there's always a process that's going to be cheaper, more streamlined, more efficient to do and produce. And that's what all startups should seek, especially since this isn't your money. This isn't your revenue that you honestly created and can say that you fed back into the company, do what you want with it. This is other people's money investments that you're taking from VCs. So, and this is something I'm guilty of myself back when I started getting into the tech world. Um, I read tech books. I got, you know, acquainted with all the big role models in the industry. And I really wanted to just, I like the idea of that lifestyle, the idea of that success, um, creating something of your own that people were going to love. But it's almost a hypnotizing dreamlike state where it's not grounded in reality. And you have to remember that living the stereotype or aiming to get VC funded or be that entrepreneur that you want to be so badly in the future is not the goal. And as long as you continue to do that, you're not going to be most efficient or spend money the right way. Yeah. So I, I mean, it sounds like you're definitely a proponent of the lean startup model, (laughs) I I guess um, for, you know, people who are just starting out or even for yourself, like walk us through the steps that, you know, you think is the right steps to take in starting a company? I think that, and again, there's no right or wrong way, of course, because I learned a lot from all the mistakes and the things that I did right. Um, that being said, I think anything that you create that is the quote MVP model, the minimal viable product, think about what can be toned down even from that and then keep toning it down, keep tearing out the layers until you really have something that you can test and get customer acquisition with. And then you can get fancy with the design, websites, what have you. But at the core, it has to be a product that works in and of itself. Yeah, for sure. Um, Did you build out the app yourself or did you hire someone to do it? No, I, I wish I was a tech background. I I hired a external development firm, like many people do, which was hard. And I, I did also have friends of friends who were developers. So I've tried both routes. I've had the um the the CTO route, the in-house developers where it was just, you know, two guys that were helping me. And I also tried the whole find a Ukrainian development firm um to also help build it out. And what I did find was it was a lot easier to work with people who I could see face to face. We would sit at a coffee shop and work together. These are people who, because I wasn't paying them to just build a project, anything that would happen and they thought could be better, let's tweak this, they would they would say it. The the boys did versus the development team that I hired in the Ukraine. So um I guess it's always best to find people that you're going to build that relationship with and work together in in real time. Yeah, for sure. So other than the, I guess, like CTOs or developers or whatever you want to call them, um, did you have anybody else on your team or was it mostly just you? I had 
I still have um, a great startup advisor who I met through one of the New York City pitch competitions and events. And he's always been a great sounding board for me. Um, he himself was went through the formal Wharton MBA education, had VC connections himself, and had previously sold his startup. So he's been through the front and the, the end of the process. And he's been a great sounding board. It doesn't mean that my job was outsourced, though. To, to find tech uh, talent, he came in and helped a lot. But finding the talent, building the the business model, the end goal was still something that I still had to have all hands on deck for. So yeah. I guess you could call it a, a 1.5 team. A 1.5, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's super challenging because that's that's how it was for me as well. Like I had hired a developer to build out my app and then I had hired uh, a designer as well. But other than that, it was just me and um, this intern that I had that like ran my social media and did some marketing for me. But I think that was the most challenging thing for me was having to do it all because very few people are good at everything, you know? And like, for me, there are certain things I'm really good at. Like I love doing marketing and even like fundraising I loved, but certain things like operations is just, oh, like if if I have ops tasks to do on my to-do list, like those will always get pushed to the end and (laughs) I will procrastinate on that for as long as I can. Yeah. Which is like usually forever because ops are there for you to like set up a good system to make your life easier. But I just couldn't get past that hurdle of like setting everything up myself. So for you, I guess, like what did you find to be the most challenging thing being a solo founder? You know, and exactly what you said was almost the same problem for me. I didn't trust anyone else to outsource any tasks to. I also tried hiring an intern, actually two interns, um, where I paid them to manage the social media, but I didn't even have like a clear brand, you know, color, font, everything that I probably should have given to them and given more guidelines on. And I kind of just wanted someone to help because I think I have good style, but I was hoping someone who really knew marketing and had good style as well would help me kind of create that brand vision and just run with it. That did not work. So uh, that was also a learning point where I think that the things that you anticipate to be really difficult. We all kind of want to procrastinate on. We try to find what's the easiest way of doing it. Maybe if I just hire someone who knows marketing, they could do it for me. But at the end, you're not going to be satisfied because that's not the brand you deep down had in mind. And so at the end, if you just look at it for what it is to to streamline your operations, to think about what brand you definitely want to go with. And, you know, you can always tweak things down the line, but those as tasks on a to-do list aren't actually that bad. So it's funny that we do tend to procrastinate them just because it's daunting to have to pick one processy, one style, and be afraid that's not going to work. And that's really what the procrastination is, just pushing off the fear of doing it. Yeah, it really is. It's, um, what do they call it? Paralysis by, by analysis or analysis paralysis. It's like right. you just overanalyze everything. Like you want it to be so perfect, but then at the end of the day, you forget that sometimes done is better than perfect. Like going Absolutely. back to the startup model and creating a minimal viable product. That's not like the perfect end product. It's minimal viable products. Like it right. doesn't, your branding does not have to be perfect. You can iterate on that. You can change that as you exactly. Grow. So and then, yeah. So I look back and I'm like, Oh, I didn't have anything at all, but something would have been better. Exactly. Something would have been better than nothing. Um, so what does your day to day look like now as you're kind of reworking your business model and, you know, uh, trying to relaunch? Mm-hmm. So I mentioned I was I had raised the equity crowdfunding round as a entrepreneur. And now I am actually a CPA on the other side of that process where I am helping startups raise their equity crowdfunding rounds. There's a lot of due diligence that startups have to go through on the legal marketing and accounting front. So where I come in is to help them with the accounting due diligence. And I give them my expertise having been through the process myself. And that's what I'm doing day to day now. 
Nice. So you've like taken on a consulting role. How did that come about? Um, that came about because the the platform that I had raised with, it's called Republic. It's a great platform where today they're they're even larger than I could have dreamed back when I was raising back in 2016-17. And they really try to bolster and support female and minority startups. So that's their thing. Uh, their branding is, I had met them actually through TechCrunch because my, TechDrop was selected to present at TechCrunch Disrupt. And nice. Wait, that's awesome. Yeah, it was that's so like a really cool. big deal. Especially for me, like young Alice being new to the tech world, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to make it so big. <laughs> so, that's so awesome. Yeah, I had met someone at TechCrunch Disrupt um, and she was telling me about Republic. Um, and I, I can't say enough good things about them for anyone who might have a startup that has um, minority on your leadership board or a female co-founder. It's a great platform. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, how did you manage to raise so much money on a crowdfunding platform? Like, did you, had you done something like that before or did you just Google how to do it and then figure it out and it just like worked? They held my hand through it. I had no idea because I had never even done a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter for anything in my life. Um, so they held my hand for a lot of it. It was a lot of the investors that were already latched into the Republic community and they're regulars on the site. They go and try to find startups that they want to invest in that look interesting to them. So a lot of the investors had come from that. You can do your own marketing by sharing to social media as well. But um, back then, I actually was recovering from ACL surgery. So I'm like sitting in bed, like with my broken leg, trying to like raise money on the side as well. It was, it was a crazy, crazy moment. Otherwise, oh I mean, that, I guess that's a good time. To like, <laughs> like, you had so much time to devote to working on that because you no, were confined to bed. So, I was so mad because if I had normal working legs at that time, I would have done extra pitch competitions because tax drops was normally very well received when I'm talking about it with normal consumers, because who can't identify with it? You know, who doesn't love saving money during tax season and saving time? So I think I could have raised more money if I was out and about talking with people, you know, at these pitch events, but that's not what happened. And I, I still was able to raise a lot because I think people like the idea. Yeah. So do you think a lot of the money you were able to raise came from people that heard you at pitch competitions versus just like people that found you on, like how much, um, like digital marketing did you do? I had ran a couple of social media campaigns. Um, I do want to say, I think a lot of it came from the Republic community. Uh, my product was also listed as one of the top products of the day on Product Hunt during the campaign. So that helped with publish, um, publications, also helped. I, it's hard to say. I, I did have a lot of friends and family that invested as well. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so I guess going back to uh, the, the topic of minority and women founders and just people in the startup space, other than, you know, like what we already touched on, on, you know, getting funding from VCs, what other challenges have you seen for women and minorities in the tech space? That's an interesting question. You know, what's funny is I don't even know that many other female or minority entrepreneurs myself. That's the problem, is, right? It's so bad. Um, I recently did join, and anyone that's listening, if you're in New York, there's this great fintech female so, uh, support group where it's this is I think a few, several hundred women at this point and they host fantastic events with plaid with stripe at different banks we got to ring um the opening bell at a stock exchange once so that was nice. the first time I really like met a lot of other like female entrepreneurs but otherwise um I think everyone has the same kind of story where it's it's hard to manage as a young entrepreneur, you're, you're a woman in the working world. You've got the same woes as anyone else where you're trying to balance your career, but also not work too hard where you have no social life because you want to start a family and have a life as well. So um, I think it's all the pressures of that together. 
that are the same. Yeah. So how do you find balance between that? And I, I've just like had this conversation with so many people recently about finding the balance between, <clears throat> you know, hustling as a startup founder and getting your your app or your product out there versus self-care and, you know, making <laughs> sure that you're still like functioning as a human being and that you're not getting burnt out before you can put the goods out there. How do yeah. you find balance? Remember how I told you earlier when I first dived into the tech world, I really wanted to live up to that stereotype of the founder who sleeps never and, you know, just talks about their startup all the time. That's exactly what it was. So that's the answer. I guess there wasn't a balance in the beginning. I really sacrificed a lot of my personal social time to really focus on my career. And I can't say I regret it because I'm happy with where I am now and everything has led up to this point. But looking back, there would have been a better balance. It it doesn't mean I can't sleep. It doesn't mean that going out, meeting up with friends um, or, you know, utilizing every relationship every second of the day to build this company would have been a bad decision. So don't be like me, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, at least you were able to find that balance eventually. And I think especially for entrepreneurs and founders who start really young, like right out of college or even before college, um, that, that like burnout rate is so high because we're young. Like looking back to when I was in high school or college and all the all nighters I pulled and I could still function reasonably well, you know, like you have the capacity, you're able to do that. You just don't long-term lasting effects of that on your body. And now that I'm 30, I'm like, I can't, I can't do all nighters anymore. I've like, (laughs) I'm in bed by nine, I get eight hours of sleep and this is how I live my life. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes. That's the dream. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so where do you see tax drop going in the future? Like other than reworking the business model right now, what else are you changing about tax drop for when you relaunch? What I'm hoping this will be is I think I was trying to embrace so much of the modern tech side that I wanted to get rid of almost everything that had to do with the traditional accounting model. Um, Having, you know, an office, having associates who hate busy season, almost like hate their career because it gets so rough during those times. I really wanted to have something that was going to be cool. The clients are going to be small businesses or startups, what have you. Um, customer service isn't going to be that stuffy, you know, oh, we're going to record this call for quality assurance purposes. And, and then every response seems like a robot, you know, just talk to a customer like you would a friend, be nice, be cordial, um, get them the help they need. None of this like automated voicemail thing where you have to press 10 buttons to get to someone. Um, I really want it to be still, still an online service where a small business or a person can still reach out online without having to go in person, um, cutting down any kind of like paper usage, snapping pictures, just uploading things as needed. And the goal is to umbrella over anything in the accounting world, um, be it tax audit and provide that kind of Deloitte quality service, but modern. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I, I guess that kind of answers a lot of the VC's question about how you're going to, you know, make this business stay alive year round versus just yeah. in tax season by offering those other things. Yeah, there we go. Now I have that answer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess like, how has it been so far trying to get CPAs to sign up for it? Like, have you gotten a pretty good response or are like, are, are people just excited to sign up for it or because they get extra work or are people kind of like sus about it or like, don't get it? Yeah. Um, the, the people that I have spoken to, and again, this, this goes back to another issue where when you're going to run it as a brand, you're going to have a specific type of pricing, um, and style of doing work. And when you're umbrellaing over a bunch of different CPA firms who have their own style and have their own pricing, it becomes a little difficult to find the people that want to do this, the ones that you want, and you expect a certain type of bedside manner with the clients as well. 
And because of that, I've been extra slow on purpose and seeing who I recruit to the company because I, I don't want to accidentally go down, go down the wrong path with someone that's not going to be a fit. Right. So they have CPAs have to apply through the site almost as if they were applying for a job and then you vet them and then you let them in and then they can create an account on your site. Mm -hmm. Yep. Gotcha. Um, Do you have any plans to automate that process in the future or is that just always going to have to be a manual process? Are you speaking about the hiring or like the hiring and vetting of CPAs? Mm -hmm. That's a good question. I'm all for automating. Um, I haven't thought too much about there. There's a lot of things that I don't think AI can take over right now or processes can't just go on without any kind of like human component. And so I think talent and understanding culture is one of them. Maybe, maybe a part of the automated process could be, okay, a part of your application process is let me give you this one client. I'm going to record a transcript of everything that you guys say to make sure that the quality communication and bedside manner is there. Um, The work can be done that you're both able and capable to do it. And if that passes, then why not let you onto the platform? So maybe that could be an automated solution. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I'm just asking because again, like I'm thinking back because we've had such similar journeys, I think. And I'm thinking back to um, the online legal marketplace that I had started before. And this was back in like 2012. So really long time ago. But at that time, I remember one of the hurdles I had was not being able to, or like, at least I couldn't figure out a way to automatically vet lawyers that sign up through the site, just at a very minimal level, like just vetting that they're actually a licensed attorney in a state. Right. Um, So that was kind of like a, just like an annoying hurdle, um, just because it would have been so much easier to have attorneys sign up on their own and have the system automatically verify them and let them onto the site versus like me having to go through. Cause then it just got to the point where there were so many of these applications that I had to go through and I had to, you know, like go on the, uh, the ARDC website for like every state and search type in their name and search for it. Not that that took very long, but when you get hundreds of people coming in, it's like you could be doing that all day. Right. That's like your full-time job now. Yeah, exactly. And that just wasn't a good use of my time. And it it was really like keeping me from doing important things in the business. percent. yeah, I think, but I think, you know, in your case, like if you are looking for that higher quality and quality over quantity, um, versus like a a more traditional, like totally free marketplace, um, then I think, you know, having, and this may not be you, like maybe you'll hire a hiring manager in the future to manage all of this. Right. You don't have to. Yeah. Right. That's awesome. Yeah. No, sorry. Marketplaces totally could have benefited from something like that. Almost like a, a trial run, like a test run. Yeah, exactly. And I think like, you know, it's now we're in 2020. I can't believe it's been like eight years since I worked on that, but we have so many more tools at our disposal now. And, you know, even more so in the future as technology is growing so rapidly. So I'm sure that, you know, solutions that may not exist today will be, will exist in the future um, in terms of automation. Yeah. And being a licensed professional, be it a doctor, lawyer, accountant, does not mean you're a quality professional. It's something that I've realized. A hundred percent. I went to um, a doctor's appointment once and the guy rolls in, the doctor, the surgeon, rolls in without shoes. He shows up in socks in the patient room and he just hops on and sits on the counter. And I'm thinking, is this allowed? You know, there's, is this sanitary? Um So I've had so many bad doctor experiences, like just one that came to the top of mind. I, uh, I had like some thyroid issues when I was maybe 21 or Mm -hmm. very young. Um, my thyroid levels were out of whack and I went to see the doctor and the doctor was like, okay, you have to take this thyroid medication. And I was like, oh, okay. For how long? 
And she's like, well, for the rest of your life, like your thyroid is just like not functioning properly. So you have to take it forever. And I was like, there's no way I'm taking daily meds for the rest of my life when I'm 21. Okay. Maybe when I'm like 71, but I'm not starting that now. Like that's preposterous. Get a second consultation. (laughs) Not even, I just went home and I Googled it. Like I Googled the thyroid condition that I had and uh, like natural ways to solve it. And one of them was um, there's certain foods that can cause your thyroid levels to go out of whack. And like soy is one of them. And at the time I was eating a lot of soy products because I was lactose intolerant. So I would drink a lot of soy milk and um, even like, like tofu I liked and like a lot of things have soy in it. And so I just cut out soy from my diet completely and went back and got my blood test done again in like six months to a year or something. And my levels were back to normal. There you but it's go. basically just like, you got to sleep well, <laughs> which I wasn't doing because I was in law school. You got to <laughs> eat well, which I wasn't doing because I was in law school. And you got to cut out soy from your diet. Like it's as simple as that. Right. And she, the doctor couldn't just tell me that. And you know, they, they had to instead prescribe me meds for the rest of my life. But I get a lot of that as liability too, like from their end. Right. Um, I mean, that's really, I'm not sure in Chicago, if you guys use ZocDoc.com. Yeah. 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 I've used that. Yeah. So that's my go-to solution because at this point, I think we're in a day and age where it's sad. We have no doctor loyalty. I don't care who you are as long as you're available. (laughs) Like, if we had a relationship for 10 years, I'm sorry, you're not available when I need you. So totally. I'm going to go to a different dentist. Um, but I like the idea of having that rating system. And that's how Uber was supposed to function as well. Driver or doctor, if, if you piss off kind of three or more patients or customers, you're off the system. That's how it needs to be. So it holds people accountable and it'll weed out the, the sucky licensed professionals. For sure. And it's not even just professionals, but now like whenever I book an Airbnb, I don't book Airbnbs with bad ratings or even without ratings. Like you have to have a solid number of good ratings in order for me to book you. So I think that like that rating system, is that something that you are um, wanting to incorporate into tax drop as well? That rating system? For sure. I will not incorporate uh, I will not run the business without that kind of accountability. Yeah. Um, it has, people have to be nice. I think first and foremost, when you're doing business, so much of it can be saved. If you just have a good attitude about it, um, a client at the end of the day, they just want the work done, but they also want to be dealing with someone that they can trust and is going to be nice during the process. So if you're a jerk who doesn't answer emails or, you know, just has a terrible attitude answers things like really sternly or curt, then people aren't going to want to return. So, you know, all that kind of the metrics about friendliness, about quality of work, it's all going to be in there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a hundred percent on board with that. Cool. Um, so before we wrap up here, do you have time for a quick game? Oh yeah. I love it. Awesome. Cool. So we can play this or that, or we can play the word association game. Your pick. I've never played either, so I'm open to whatever. Okay, we can play. Uh, let's do word association. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to say a word, and you're going to say the first word that comes to your mind. Okay. Don't think about it for super long. Just first thing that comes to mind. If it makes no sense, that's totally fine. I love okay? it. Okay. And I've, I've got 10 words for you. Okay, so first one, startup. Founder. Tech. Tech crunch. Founder. I guess you already said that, but that was on my list. <laughs> um, founder, um, probably San Francisco. Superpower. Mm, strength. Oh, this Tra- is terrible. <laughs> Travel. Travel. Europe. Mountain. Um, the Midwest. College. Wait, the Midwest? There are no mountains in the Midwest. Hey, really? Okay. Well, then, what do you count? <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> I love how people from New York and New Jersey have no concept oh of geography. They know, like, I like most of my friends in college are from New York and New Jersey, and they knew New York and New Jersey. They knew uh, Michigan because that's where I went to college. 
yeah. then they knew California and Texas, and that was it. They didn't know where any other state <laughs> in the country was, but so Colorado is the West. To me, the West is like, okay, the West is California. The Midwest <laughs> is everything between California and Ohio. That's just what Central America is to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> oh All right. Okay. Moving on. Um, where are we? College. Um, Rutgers. Finance. Investment bankers. New York City. Young people. Podcast. Super cool. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. <laughs> Okay. Well, this was really fun. Um, thank you so much for coming on. Before you go, tell people where they can find you, where they can find Tax Drop once you guys relaunch. Give people your website, um, email, whatever, social media. Mm-hmm. yourself. Yeah. Um, it's funny that you're asking this because I'm actually in the middle of a brand redesign still. Again, um, Tax Drop, uh, you used to be able to find us at taxdropapp.com. But because that's just so geared on taxes and I'm trying to expand the business offerings, um, you can now find us at alice.accountants, which is a super cool URL that I got. And I was thinking Alice would become this robot almost where it's a CPA that you can message um, and anyone would be your Alice accountant. So once that site's up, you'll be able to find it there. Nice. Wait, it's actually dot accountants. Yeah, that's the I didn't URL. Know that was a, I didn't know that was like a um, what do you call it? a web ending or whatever. Yeah, so, I, so cool. I have both aliceaccountants.com, but then I also have alice.accountants because why not? Right, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Um, what about your so? Are you on social media? Can people find you there? Yeah, um, you can find me on Instagram at underscore alice Chang. Um, I have Twitter. I'm not active at all, but you can also find me there at Alice Chang. Um, nice. And Chang is C-H-E-N-G, right? Correct. Okay. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Alice, for coming on this podcast. I had so much fun. I hope you did as well. Um, and best of luck. I can't wait to see Alice.accountants whenever it launches. Do you have a launch date yet? You know what? It's all about when I stop procrastinating. And the design <laughs> all right, well, get on it. Get on it because I want to see that. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Alice. Talk to you later. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Startup Happy Hour sponsored by Content Allies. If something we said today resonated with you, please share our episode on social media and sign up for our email list at startuphappyhourpodcast.com. Happy Hour doesn't have to end just because this episode is over. Continue the conversation with us at startuphappyhourpodcast.com or on Instagram at startuphappyhour.com.